bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 1st, 2016. This week marks 167 years since the U.S. Department of the Interior was established. The department was created March 3, 1849. As you know, the Department of the Interior includes the National Park Service, which is the agency that oversees the Federal Historic Tax Credit. Moving on to this week's podcast, we'll start off with the general news section, where I'll recap the South Carolina Democratic presidential primary and the Nevada Republican caucus results and I'll provide a rundown on the state delegates at stake in today's Super Tuesday primaries. In our long Muslim tax credit section, I'll share news about updated compliance monitoring regulations for the long housing tax credit and remind listeners about the HUD budget hearing scheduled for today. In new markets tax credit news, I'll talk about updates to the frequently asked questions document for capital magnet fund applicants. I'll also share how you can learn about New Market Tax Credit Basics anytime, anywhere, with our Novogratic On-Demand course, NMTC 101, The Basics. Then, in our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll have an update on one Maryland County's successful campaign to create a local Historic Tax Credit program. And we'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, where I'll discuss possible implications of the Renewable Energy Tax Credit extensions through 2021. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, today is Super Tuesday. Today, 12 states and one territory are holding their nominating contests. States holding both Republican and Democratic contests are Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, and Virginia. Alaska is holding its Republican caucus and Colorado is holding its Democratic caucus. Also, American Samoa has its Democratic caucus today. Colorado, North Dakota, and Wyoming are also holding Republican caucuses, but no delegates will be awarded today. At stake on Super Tuesday are 661 delegates for Republicans and 865 delegates for Democrats. Almost all delegates today will be awarded proportionally. For Texas Republicans, if a candidate wins 50% or more of the statewide vote, then that candidate will win all of Texas's Republican delegates. Texas does have a contest both on a proportionality across the state as well as among congressional districts. Now, to win the Republican nomination, a candidate needs 1,237 delegates. To win the Democratic nomination, a candidate needs 2,383 Mathematically, no candidate of either party will have enough delegates to cleanse the nomination after today. But decisive victory today for either of the leading candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, could make it extremely difficult for anyone else to catch up. Now here's a recap of the presidential primary so far. In the past few weeks, Trump and Clinton have dominated their parties' respective primaries. 
after the Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina contests last month, Trump is on top with 82 delegates. Second place, Ted Cruz, has less than a fourth of Trump's delegates, 17, and Marco Rubio is in third place with 16 delegates. And rounding out fourth and fifth place are John Kasich with six delegates and Ben Carson with four. In the Democratic race so far, Clinton has 544 delegates, and that includes 453 so-called superdelegates that represent elected officials and party insiders, as compared to Bernie Sanders' 85, which includes 20 superdelegates. Again, those are, the de- those are the delegate totals going into today's races. You can follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Novogratic. In addition, you can check our Notes for Novogratic blog. We're posting profiles of each primary state. The profiles include presidential primary facts and tax credit usage in each state. In local housing tax credit news, the IRS last week published amendments to its rules for local housing tax credit compliance monitoring. The changes were announced in a Federal Register notice. Now, the changes primarily affect state and local housing agencies. The amendments revise and clarify the requirement to conduct physical inspections of low-income housing tax credit properties and review low-income certifications and other documentation. The IRS also published Revenue Procedure 2016-15. The Revenue Procedure explains in further detail how the new regulations will be implemented. Overall, the IRS now gives housing agencies more flexibility regarding the minimum number of units needed for physical inspections and low-income certifications. More specifically, the minimum number of low-income units in an LIHTC development that must undergo physical inspection is the lesser of 20% of the low-income units in the property, rounded up to the nearest whole number, or the number of low-income units set forth in the revenue procedure. The same rule applies to the minimum number of units that must undergo low-income certification review. The changes also remove the requirement that agencies conduct both physical inspections and low-income certification on the same units. The IRS now allows the physical inspection protocol under HUD's Real Estate Assessment Center to satisfy the physical inspection requirements. The regulations went into effect on February 25th. Now, we're going to provide more coverage of the new regulations in an upcoming issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. In the meantime, though, please contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, in our Seattle Metro office with any questions. In other housing news, the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and Related Agencies is scheduled to have its hearing today on the proposed budget for HUD. HUD Secretary Julian Castro will be the sole witness. I'm going to have more news on this hearing in next week's podcast. In New Markets Tax Credit news, the City of Fife Fund last week released updates to its Frequently Asked Questions document for fiscal year 2016 applicants of the Capital Magnet Fund. One of the main topics covered is whether funding from the Capital Magnet Fund can be combined with funding from other City of Fife Fund programs. The short answer, no. The FAQ states that Capital Magnet Fund awards should only fund activities different from other activities funded by the City of Fife Fund. There is an exception for CDFI fund assistance that closed by February 8th. For the most part, though, the limitation to using capital magnet fund awards with CDFI programs is meant to prevent double funding. Updated topics in the FAQ also include affordability requirements, providing capital magnet fund 
funds to limited liability corporations or limited partnerships, and other topics. Capital Magnet Fund application deadlines are just around the corner. The deadline for submissions through the www.grants.gov website is March 16th. That's just over two weeks away. Applications submitted through the CDFI Funds Award Management Information System, or AMIS, are due March 30th. The CDFI Fund will host a technical assistance webinar for applicants this Thursday, March 3rd. Now, if you have any questions about the Capital Magnet Fund, please contact my partner, Diana Letzinger, in our Long Beach, California office. In other new market task credit news, I'm happy to announce that Novogratz NMTC 101, the basics course, is now available online on demand. This introductory new markets task credit course walks participants through an overview of the application and award process. Our instructors also unscramble the alphabet soup of CDEs, QEIs, Qualicbees, and Qualickies. The course also highlights unique elements of new market tax credit deal structures. In addition, we provide tips on how to avoid tax credit recapture. The on-demand course is available now at www.novaco.com. In historic tax credit news, a county in Maryland became the latest in that state to pass a local historic tax credit. Dan Arundel County Council recently voted 5-2 to two to pass legislation instituting the credit. Anne Arundel County will offer a tax credit worth 25% of eligible costs for historic residential and commercial properties. The credit can be deducted from the taxpayer's county property tax bill. While opponents said the credit would raise taxes for other property owners, the county auditor said the effect would be negligible for Anne Arundel. The tax credit has no program cap and no sunset date. There is a transaction cap of $50,000. The tax credit can be claimed over five years, and property owners must agree to give the county an easement on the structure. That's to ensure that the property maintains its historic status. An amendment allows the easement to be removed if the taxpayer repays the credits. The legislation also included a 5% credit for new construction infill in an historic district. To qualify, the architecture must be compatible with existing buildings. Now, the county historic tax credit can be used for projects that also have state and federal historic tax credits. Local administrators say that the county, state, and federal programs are helpful tools to offset the higher cost of preservation. Anne Arundel County is creating the historic tax credit application and expects to begin accepting applications in the next month or so. For more about county-level historic tax credits, look for an article in the upcoming issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. And if you have any more specific questions, please contact Charlie Ruda in our Boston, Massachusetts office. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, the Energy Department's National Renewable Energy Laboratory released a report on the impact of recently extended federal energy tax credits, specifically the production tax credit and investment tax credit. As you know, the ITC and PTC were extended and subjected to phase-down sunsets as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016. More specifically, the PTC was extended through 2016 at prior levels and then phases down by 20% per year through the year 2019. The ITC was extended at 30% through the year 2019 
and then the ITC is gradually reduced to a permanent level of 10% for those projects where construction starts after the year 2021. So while the solar and wind tax credit deadlines were extended, the credits will be stepped down. The NRO report explores two questions. One, how might renewable energy deployment in the United States change with the recent federal tax credit extensions? And two, how might this change in renewable energy deployment impact CO2 emissions in the power sector? This report estimates that the tax credit extensions will drive a net peak increase of 48 to 53 gigawatts in installed renewable generation capacity in the early 2020s. The report also found that after the tax credits ramp down, greater renewable energy capacity will be driven by a combination of three factors. Assumed cost reductions in renewable generation, assumed rising fossil fuel prices, and existing clean energy policies. The report concludes that the tax credit extensions under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016 are expected to accelerate renewable capacity deployment. However, longer-term impacts depend on future natural gas prices and other regulatory and market factors. In addition, more rapid renewable energy growth, driven by the tax credits, can result in major CO2 emissions reductions. To read the report, and it's entitled, Impacts of Federal Tax Rate Extensions on Renewable Deployment and Power Sector Emissions, go to www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. But before we end, I have a state-level reminder for our audience who's interested in applying for low-income housing tax credits in Kentucky. The Kentucky Housing Corporation is offering three roundtable discussions this month on its Qualified Allocation Plan, or QAP. The first one is next Wednesday, March 9th, and it's on QAP changes under discussion. The next is Thursday, March 17th, on likely QAP changes. And the last roundtable will be Tuesday, March 22nd. That last session will be a meeting for syndicators, lenders, and funders. For more information, go to www.kyhousing.org. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.